Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to another episode my name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. And today, our guest is Bart Nolenberger. He is a successful motivational speaker, author, and trainer. He has taught sales and leadership for some of the top companies in the world, including Ford Motor Company, Toyota USA, and some of the largest auto dealership groups. Bart is a successful motivational speaker, author, and trainer, but his real passion is about recovery and living life in recovery. And in this episode, Bart shares his journey of moving from someone who was self-absorbed in his addiction to a person who is truly about giving and surrendering the self. He is author of the upcoming book, Keep the Change, and also the host of the Keep the Change podcast, where he shares his personal experience, wisdom, personal development, and spirituality in an authentic way to spark change in others. If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review us or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast. That really does help people find the podcast, and I really appreciate it. And I do read the reviews, and they do mean a lot to me. So for all the people that have taken the time to do that, thank you so much. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, and click join. All right, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Bart Nolenberger, and he is a recovery coach, leadership expert. And Bart, you're here to share your story and to share your hope and your wisdom. So let's just jump in and start with your story and introduce yourself to us. Hey, thanks, Dwayne. And, you know, as someone who does a podcast, it's so fun to be on the other side. And it's so yeah. fun to have that connection with what, no matter what side you are, with the person that you're having a conversation with. So I appreciate you. I really do. We're just meeting, but I appreciate the fact that this could be the start of a, a long friendship. So thank you for taking the time to do this, brother. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast too, is, you know, you just get to meet all these amazing people and hear their story. And I, I love that. So yeah. I, I'm excited yeah. to get to know you and Let's let's jump in. Let's rock and roll. Well, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, and I promised everybody listening this won't be a play-by-play -play with my year decades on the planet. But I was born in Toledo. <laughs> my dad was a car dealer, upper middle class. My mom was a model. Kind of, I always like to say she was like Joan Crawford. You know, you never use metal hangers. If you ever saw that movie with Joan Crawford, image was everything in our family. The cars, the houses, everything, clothes, kids, everything was image. So, you know, when I hear people talk about just being in the ghetto and growing up in the ghetto or their parents beat them up or they did drugs in the middle of the living room, that wasn't my story. But my dad was an alcoholic. And he was charming. He never beat my mom, but he could be verbally abusive when he drank. And the first decade was great. Everything's perfect. Perfume on the pig. The second decade, I started to notice some shifts. And from that, 
I started really, really wanting attention. I had attention deficit disorder, <laughs> and that's not right. the same. I have that probably too, but not what y'all are thinking. It was, man, give me attention, give me attention, give me attention. And frankly, that became the story of decades. And I started wanting attention with alcohol. When I started drinking, I wanted attention from my friends. I always, looking back with lots of therapy and a lot of recovery, what I realized was, I was always drinking to be somebody other than I was. And I just didn't like who I was. Just I to get out of your own skin. Absolutely. Yeah. That was my thing. Right. And I was, if I saw an athlete, I wanted to be like him and I'd act and walk like him. Right. Or my brother was five years older and he was always better looking and I wanted to be like him or a better athlete or had more friends. So there was a paper mache around my whole life. Everything was phony. And especially after alcohol came around, everything was, I wanted people to see me different than I was. Humor right, obviously right. was a big part of that because if people would laugh, then of course they were laughing with me. Well, there's a, like that deep pain, right? That pain, whatever that trauma was that you were, you were running from, you know, to, to look better, to be something from yourself, you, you know, yeah. it's, you just keep going and, and you can't get away from it. You can't ever, until you do something really different. Right. No matter where you go. Yeah, there you are. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. The kind of, because we only have a bit of time here, I won't take you through the whole testimony, but I will tell you that I wrecked six cars in high school. I found cocaine when I was about 20. Alcohol had been the, the deal up to that point. Every car that was wrecked was wrecked for two reasons. Number one, I was drunk. Number two, I was trying to get attention. And every time I'd wreck a car, I'd get another car. So my parents really didn't have a ton of accountability. They didn't want to have to really deal with it. I was one of two kids, and my I was five years younger than my brother. And I think my parents just wanted to socialize and not have that going on, right? Yeah. This, the, 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 oh, we got to take care of this needy kid. So, well, it sounds dad, like they were invested in their image, not you, just amen. the image. I think so. And you know what? Really great people, really. But my dad didn't really know how to be a dad. He was a great car dealer. He, he was great with his friends. But at noon every day, he'd go out and get drunk. And he'd come home about five o'clock. How he got home, I don't know. And then he'd take a two-hour nap, get up and start it over, over again. There was never, hey, let's go to ball games. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's play catch ever. So my mom had to carry the ball with the with the perfume on the, on the pig. To use a couple a couple of analogies there, and right, she did a right, good job. Yeah. But she wasn't yeah. affectionate, and I, I I struggled with that when I was young. She it was never I love you. You're gonna there was positive, but I really didn't feel connected. Right. So and what I mean by positive is she never said you're awful or anything like that. She, there was never any verbal abuse. But I tried out for the basketball team, 7th, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever it was, all the way to 11th, and I never made the team. And I remember every time coming home and telling them I didn't make it, my mom was always supportive. And yet, I, I always felt less than. And that was my own, my own stuff, right? So long story short, I weighed 150 pounds. I was 27 years old. I got fired from a a job that paid about a quarter of a million a year. And I got up the next morning after I got fired, got on my knees, prayed to a God I didn't know for help. And I got this intuition to call a treatment center. And I called them. They had two beds left. I got in. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of that lifestyle. Two weeks in, after lots and lots of therapy, one of my counselors said, you'll never make it. And I was so mad at him. His name was Gus. I want to punch him in the nose. And the next day, I'm in my bathroom at that treatment center. And I reached into my pocket and pulled out a bindle of cocaine that I'd stashed in there, I don't know, six months earlier, whatever. It was in one of the shirts I brought. And I opened it up and I looked at it and I flushed it down the toilet. And that wow. was it. And from then, it was the crossroads. It was crossing through to freedom. Two weeks later, I graduated from that treatment center, got a sponsor, went to 90 meetings in 90 days, went all in. And as of today, I've got 37 and a half years of sobriety by the grace of God from drugs and alcohol. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, 30 years and all, all that wisdom. I, I want to go back to that moment where 
I think you said two things that like really struck me that are like, I think so important is that you made the decision, right? You flushed yes. it down the toilet. Yes. But then you said you went onto the road, right? It didn't stop. Like, I think uh, sometimes when we look at recovery, it's like thought about as like, you know, I make the decision and then it's all, it's all good. And it's actually you make the decision and then you do the work. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if you can talk about that part because it sounds like you have a lot of wisdom there. And the way you said that just struck yeah. me. Well, it's, it's interesting. There's an ending to this that is not an ending, but it's a current. But I'll take you back to that. In that moment, I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I was not, I wasn't an atheist. I believed in God, but I didn't know who Jesus was. Had no idea. But I knew that I didn't want to be the person I was anymore. I weighed 150 pounds. Today, I weigh a spilt 200. And I'm being a little humorous with that. I'm probably more than that. But my point was, I lost a ton of weight because of my cocaine abuse and my abusing of my, abusing of my body. But I did what I was told to do. I did. I was obedient to the process and right. went to a lot of meetings. And yet there was a problem. And the problem was I flipped addictions. And even though I'm clean and sober today, 37 plus years from drugs and alcohol, I was a narcissistic pig at the time. I was a player. I didn't know, you know, I was, I got all because of having a model mom and the image that I grew up with. We had probably 52 mirrors in our house and I'm, and I'm being a little facetious, but we had a lot. It was always how you looked. So how I looked always determined who I was, even after sobriety. And it took a lot of work and just recently, maybe, that I got to the other side of that. When I'd walk in a room, I want them to notice. You know that song yeah. by Carly Simon, You're So Vain? That was my yep. thing. When I looked good, everything was good. Didn't matter what my bank account was. Nothing else mattered. If I had a person from the opposite sex look at me, boom, that meant I was valued. And I went on that for decades, and it was so ugly. So wow. 10 years after I got sober... I happened to drive by a church in Santa Cruz, California. At this point, I've got four kids. I'm married for 18 years or so. And I drove by a church, and I was 10 years sober. I drove by a church in Santa Cruz, California, and there's a bunch of Mercedes in the driveway. And I thought, oh, that's cool, because I was always about image, Dwayne. And I pulled yeah. into the church, and I happened to hear a guy by the name of Chip Ingram, a pastor, talk. And I thought... Boom, I'm home. And that was the beginning of having a relationship with Jesus. Now, it doesn't matter what you believe, although it does to me, and I would hope that you believe that, but this isn't about changing your beliefs. It's not about that. I found my higher power, and my higher power was Jesus Christ. It just took me 10 years to find him. And when I started to do that, my life started to change. And did it change immediately? No. As a matter of fact, I started going to a thing called Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12-step group, and I yeah, got yeah. embraced with that, Dwayne, and then I started going to meetings. But I got to tell you, dude, I was a hypocrite, kept doing the same thing, cussing like a truck driver on the side, being somebody that said they were a believer, but behind the scenes was not, doing the same behavior. So it took me a long, long, long time. And let's fast forward to today, because... Today, I can say that I've got, even though it took decades to get there, over four years of freedom from sexual integrity issues. Today, I've got a marriage of the woman of my dreams for nine years. And between the two of us, actually, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's a little over seven. But between the two of us, we have 10 kids and 12 grandkids. Today, wow. we just started what was it, nine months ago or about eight weeks, eight weeks ago, excuse me, a celebrate recovery at our church. And we've been meeting with leaders for a year setting this up. So I'm a slow study. My mom right. would always say to me, Bart, you're going to be a late bloomer. And I don't know if I manifested that with what she said or if it was just, it's obviously true. And this season of my life is a total different season than I had in the last 50 decades, five decades. It's just, I'm getting pulled in a different direction. And I'll kind of close this part of the story on two years ago on my 
AA recovery birthday, which is June 15th. I, w- I had 36 years of sobriety at the time. God said to me, you're going to get deep into celebrate recovery and you're going to start one. And Dwayne, I remember saying, no, no, no. I want planes and trains and automobiles. I want big. I want money. I want to build my speaking business. I want to be famous. You know what? As I sit here now and I think about where I am, I can't tell you how grateful I am that I'm listening to what God says because of my marriage, because I've got incredible children, because of what we get to do with our Celebrate Recovery. I never thought I'd be famous because of my recovery. And I don't want to be famous anymore. But yeah. I, what I, but it is not what I thought would happen. But I'm so grateful that I'm obedient to God's message. It sounds like a real freedom from that wound you talked about very early on. And I, I love what you talk about and saying, you know, you, you got out of that, that narcissism, that self-absorption, and especially the, the male sexual entitlement piece and looked at that and, and jumped into that to be like a, a better man. Yeah. Well, isn't that, I, I think everybody's got a place of pain. You know, it's life, right? And we also hopefully have a place of peace. And I think we want to get to that place of peace, but just because we have peace doesn't mean we don't have pain. It just means I think we're more accepting of the pain and we know how to handle it better. So for me, I had to get to that self-absorbed, die to self, die to Bart, die to look at me, look at me, look at me place and get to the place where it is has nothing, nothing to do with me. And I think I've mentioned a couple of times as you've hang, you and I have hung out about the word pride. I'm proud of this or proud of that. That's B, S. <laughs> I right, didn't say right, yeah. But it is. It is not me. It is I am grateful that God's allowed me to walk this path and given me the resources to do it. Every morning since I got sober, I get on my knees and I pray two prayers. One of them is the third step prayer of AA and the other one's the seventh step prayer. And they go like this. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I can better do thy will. Take away my difficulty that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power and thy love and thy way of life. And the second prayer, Duane, is my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray you remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go up here from here to do your bidding. Now, obviously, I got those memorized. Dude, you know how many yeah. days I'd say those just on, on as a robot and not internalize it? But I said it over and over and over again for decades. And now that's who I am. Can you talk about how you moved into that process of really, in a way, what I hear is letting go of yourself, letting go of that need for this kind of external validation to give that to your higher power and in that process because i think that's such a a struggle it's it can be so hard when we get caught into that wound of i don't know narcissism selfishness and we get in that spiral to to make that transition and and to to give it to your higher power, whatever that is, for whatever a person needs to do, how they need to do that. Yeah, and you get it, brother. In the world, they tell us it's all about you, right? In the world on social, it's look at me, look at me, look at me, look at I did. Here's how you get here. And I think what happens, at least it did for me, is that I had big dreams. My dad was very successful monetarily for a while until he his drinking started killing his business. But he had trains and big boats and I mean not trains. Yeah. <laughs> he had planes. He had he had planes, trains, boats, exactly. And and he had that lifestyle, right? I frankly haven't had that. I've had a great lifestyle. I raised four kids. He only raised two. <laughs> but The point is, is that I made sure the difference between my dad and I is he went for that and God bless him. But I wanted to make sure that when my kids were born, I was completely different dad than he was. So I was all in to be a father. 
if I had a job on a Saturday and I had been in automotive for years where I had to work on a Saturday or and my kids had a birthday at Disneyland, I made sure that I had that scheduled. I was going to go to that. And I lost jobs for that or my career got pulled back from that. But that's always been the thing. I went to every one of my kids' high school football games, even when I didn't live in the state. I mean, I did all I could do to be all there for them. And today we're great friends. Now, that wasn't your question. But what I would say to this is I knew I couldn't do any of this by myself. I saw the brokenness in Bart. I'd write down all the goals. I listened to Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, anybody that said write down everything. And I did them all. I did them all. Yeah, yeah. And yet there was something holding me back. And what I realized was I needed to get on my knees every single day. And dude, I will tell you, every day I get on my knees, my world's different. It's just different. When I do those prayers, my world's different. It's It programs my day. Now, the problem is, is that when I don't do that, I start getting those old stinking thinking, I can do this, narcissistic, yeah. it's all about you, you, right? But I need that. And I'm not saying that's for everybody, but it's for everybody. What freedom there is, brother, when I can say, God, take over. What freedom is when I say, God, help me stay sober. What freedom there is when I get say, God, don't let me take a left. Let me take a right. When I just give him that and let him walk with me step by step by step. Oh my gosh, the strength, my strength is in my weakness. When I can say, I let go and I let God, that's when thy will is really done. And you know what I got to tell you? Dude, I was in the car business for years. And if anybody's watching this in the car business, it's probably going to kill my business, but that's okay. I hate the car business. But what I love is the people. And yet I kept doing it. You know why? Because it paid the darn bills. And even yeah. though I think God had a different purpose for me at a certain season, I kept fighting him and doing that because it paid the bills. And that's how I was going to, right? And I find today that that's not where he's taken me. I'll tell you this last thing about, I was at this meeting called C-Suite for Christ, which is a bunch of Christian businessmen that get together once a month. And I'm in this room hearing this guy talk about doing sales training for other businesses and doing leadership training for all these businesses, kind of like I do. And I'm and God, I really felt kind of gave me a little elbow in the ribs. And he said right. in that moment, see, that's where I'm taking you. I'm not taking you to the car business. I'm taking you away from the car business. And I, and I remember my wife was right next to me and I'm elbowing her. And she said, what? <laughs> right in the meeting, right? And I said, I'll tell you later. Well, this isn't the first time he said it, but it's the first time I probably paid attention, right? And right, I can and see, listen to it. Yes, I can see he's transitioning me with the book coming out, with this podcast that I'm doing, with being on yours, with starting to celebrate recovery. Dude, this isn't how I thought I'd be quote unquote famous, but this is how I make him famous, and this is how I save lives. And that, I wouldn't change any of it. Really being able to surrender the self and, and, and give back to others and, and give it to them and let go. And I, I think you make a really important point in that, you know, we, we have, this is a work in maintenance, you know, that as human beings, we always have the potential to go to our own darkness, however you want to name that the not good part of ourselves and that it's something that we continually have to look at and, and monitor and, and work towards being our best selves. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's, it is, it's constant. It's ceaseless. It's, it's, it's a communication with my higher power always. I mean, I have to, when I don't, maybe you can relate to this, but sometimes I'll do things and put like I like it's I have blinders on that are coming on the side of my face, and I do something and I think, oh God won't see this. Right? Right. It's okay, I can do this because nobody's nobody's here and God won't see it. Well, that's not that's silly, right? And the point of that is in those moments, there's got to be, whoops, stop, God, please help me, help me, help me, help me. And I don't know about you, man. 
you're probably a lot more stable than I am, but there's moments even <laughs> through this yeah, journey. Maybe at times, but not all the time. <laughs> there's moments when I just have to that, and for me again, as a Christian, as a believer, you'll find that I, my my I've got family members that aren't believers necessarily, but they all have the same heart of love, right? So again, whether you're listening and whatever your religion is, it's not about religion. It's about love. It's about servitude. That's what this is about. So when I say Jesus, Jesus is love. The whole story of Jesus is about love. Didn't mean he wasn't tough, but he was He was love. Right. So my point of that is I need him, man, and I need his love. And I need, there's moments where I've just sat there and I've put the book on my heart and I just said, God, please help me. And I let the, <laughs> I let that moment just, just meditate on that. Nothing in particular, just God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me over and over and over again. And it might be an hour. And then I walk out of there and I'm ready to take on whatever I'm supposed to take on. Right? Right. And just, and it sounds just like giving weakness. it up to your to your higher power, to w whatever that that is for however that looks for every individual, just being able to give it to that, that I guess the best word is is higher power, that bigger source, whatever you sure. want to call that, and return to to being able to give give back and and give it to others. And then, you know, in a way I think that helps us surrender ourselves. We don't get caught up in our own own stuff. One question I wanted to ask you is a little bit you, you had mentioned about men in recovery and integrity in, in that way. And I wanted to talk to you more about that. As a man in our culture and all the things that men go through, I think for men, there's there's some disadvantages. You know, in our culture, we're taught not to share. We're taught to be not emotional. We're taught to live in this man box and doesn't really help us a lot. And I wondered if you can talk to that and your experience of going through that stuff yeah, and working through lot, that. There's a lot of doors in there, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, we are taught to be strong. We're taught to, taught to, depending on who you listen to, to be the leader of the home. And we think that means that we put an iron fist down. And, you know, I, 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 I certainly don't have a man card that what I say goes, right? I just have a an experience of what I've done wrong and I make sure I don't do it anymore. You know, and it first started with me, my first time in my life when I got out of self, when I cared about others more than me, was my daughter. When Tiffany was born, I was, it was actually six months before I went into rehab. And I will tell you that I believe I had actually seen a buddy of mine who had I had partied with about eight months earlier. And he looked great. And I said, what the heck happened to you? Because <laughs> he looked good, right? And he said, I went into rehab. And I said, no way. Why? He said, because I was, I was a mess. Now, I was too, but I, you know, I was in pure denial. Right. And he said, uh, I said, where'd you go? Kind of like just having a conversation, but I was really interested. He said, I went to the Adrian Center in Santa Cruz. And I said, really? Who, who runs that place? And he gave me a name and a phone number. The next day I called them and I went in. So I really, in my mind, thought I've got to do something, right? right. And I sat down in front, in front of Reba, who ran the Adrian Center, and I said, I really want help. I think I need help. I think that's how the conversation went. And she said, great, you can come here for 30 days. And I said, that's perfect. I'll come at night after work. I'm kind of a busy guy. She said, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You got to come 30 days, 24-7. I said, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm, you know, I can't do that. And she, yep. she said, well, then I can't help you here. I said, what are my options? She said, go to AA or NA. And so I said, okay. And I got in the car and see, I felt personally, I would have never gotten sober for all these years if I hadn't gone to that rehab center. If I just went to meetings, dude, talk about a slow study. It wouldn't have worked as well. So I'm really, in, I'm really believing in treatment centers, but I couldn't at that time. So I'm in the car crying like a baby, again, to a God I didn't know yet. And a few months later, Tiffany was born. A few months after that, my boss said, I'm fired. And I think there was almost no doubt in my mind what the next step was. As a matter of fact, when I got fired, I loosened my tie and I thought, now I can get some help. And Tiffany wow, yeah. was, 
the first one that I wanted to get help for. I didn't want her to see me like this. And so I went into that rehab. I've since had three sons behind her. None of them have seen me drink. They've seen stupid behavior. They've seen narcissism. They've seen anger. They've seen me being not nice at times, but they didn't see me drink. My point was my kids have allowed me to give away myself, away myself, mm. little by little by little by little. So they taught me, I think, because I had a lot of them, what it meant to be selfless and to yeah. serve them. Now, I was lousy at marriages, and I'm, I'm not proud of that, but I was, again, because of my narcissistic behavior. But I can say today I am all in to be the husband I need to be, but it started with being a good parent for me. It didn't start right, yeah. with me honoring my wife at the time. It started with me serving my kids and being there for them all the time. And today they will tell you we're best, we're, we're great friends because of that. And that allowed me, when God said, serve others, I knew how to do that, right? I, I'm so glad you, you talk about that because a lot of times there's that, I guess I would kind of call it a myth in a way. Well, you got to do recovery just for you. And I'm like, I understand that thought and I understand that. But in the beginning, a lot of times we start by doing it for other people, not necessarily for ourselves, even though that's, you know, maybe we get there where we can finally do it for ourselves over time, like like what you're kind of describing. But I love that you say that, you know, it's like in some ways we can't do it for ourselves. There's too much self-loathing. There's too much pain. There's too much trauma, whatever you want to call it. And doing it for other people in the beginning, is not necessarily a bad thing. And it could be the motivation to start us on the journey. Could be. Sometimes it just takes what it takes, right? It could yeah. be. Yeah. We look in the mirror and say, man, I look awful, which is that was happening too. And again, mirrors were always part of my past. And But, you know, I don't think consciously I thought I'm going to do this for Tiffany, but I adored her. And yeah. and I, I, I didn't do it for her mom. I, I did do it for me. But I didn't know what that meant. When I went into rehab, I thought I was a cocaine addict because I was using, you know, three to five grand a month in cocaine every month. I didn't think I was an alcoholic, even though I wrecked six cars in high school. Uh, it, it never even occurred to me. And yet, after I got out, they said no more of any of it. And as I got more mature and less to uh, and, and really started getting self-integrity and started getting humility I started realizing this is bigger than me. I knew that I needed to get help. I saw myself differently than the way I was acting. And I think it was more, Dwayne, on a subconscious level that I'm going, I didn't think I was going in for Tiffany, but I will also tell you that there was a moment in time when she was just a baby and I, I was drunk and she was on my lap. At that time, I smoked. There was an ashtray next to me with a crack in it, in the corner of it. And I'm bouncing her on my knee, and I and she slipped off. And she hit her mouth right at the corner of that ashtray. There wasn't a cigarette in it or anything, but uh, and it cut her lip. And uh. even though that sounds like just a small thing, it, was, it, it wasn't. It was, I was not in control of anything. I was being irresponsible. And I hurt my daughter. It was almost like I cut her myself. Right. And it was a scar that was there for years through time. My daughter's beautiful. You can't see it now, but it was there for a long time. And I always was reminded that was because of my negligence. Now I, I can't tell you, brother, if that's why I went into rehab, but I will tell you that I was at the end of myself. And I will also tell you that my counselor was genius because he said, you're never going to make it. You still have your house. You still have your life. He said, you haven't lost enough. And I remember I got so mad. I thought, I'm going to show that guy. And I remember that <laughs> almost every day, right? He was a genius. Right. So He really gave you the motivation to say, to hell with you. I'm doing this. And that's what yeah. you needed to hear. Yeah. And today with my kids, I had twins that just turned 32 the other day. And my son, uh, one of my twins asked me to officiate his wedding. Give me a break. Right? Me? Come on, man. Me? Officiate your wedding? 
And I had the gift to be able to do that. And I think that's like, you know, when, when they ask you now, it's from your true self, not this Amen. facade, you know, Amen. like when they ask you to, to officiate the web, the, the wedding, but it's from the, the, the place of the facade, it doesn't really yes. mean anything. But yeah. when you're in your true self, your true identity, and someone asks you to do that, it's, it's so meaningful because it's, it's truly you. They're asking you. Yeah. And you know, that's amazing. Gift. It is a gift. I mean, it is. And that's the transformation that my mama was talking about. My mom died at 97 three years ago. I've got a letter from here that she wrote me in one of my visits. I got a picture of here of her. I've got mementos over all over my office. And we became great friends. She became a mentor of mine for business, for life. And she lived in California. I was in Arizona. And I'd go visit her every five weeks. And I was a Disneyland son. I just got to hang out, have lunch with her. And those moments were my special moments. And they were they were the best, right? Even more yeah. than growing up moments. She was a good mama. She really was. She came to all my swim meets. She was there for me. She just wasn't affectionate. And she learned. I mean, she asked me, every time I'd see her, she'd, she'd lift up my floppy hair and put a little kiss on my forehead and say, love to you. That's how she would do it when I was a kid. And when I was young, or maybe 10, 20 years ago, I said, I love you, mom. And I would keep saying that to her. And when she was done, she'd say, I love you, Bart. And my point is, it wasn't love to you. It was a very personal, I love you, Bart. Yeah. (laughs) And every time I'd call her, it was like she was at Disneyland. She'd pick up the phone. Hi, mom. Oh, hi, Bart. And she was always so glad to hear from me. Yes, I look back and I think, man, I wish I had more time. Or I wish I lived closer to her. Or I wish I did this. Or wish, or I listened to her advice. She always said good advice and I kind of blew a lot of it off. But the friendship and the, the respect I have for her, I, I can't even put it into words. And what's cool about that? is she really also had a great relationship with my wife, Mary. And they were a lot alike. And when I think about what you talked about with Nick asking me to officiate his wedding, his wife, Angie, and him, I really believe they look at our marriage and think, you know, that's I like their marriage. And again, are you kidding me? I mean, we've got our stuff. I mean, who doesn't, right? And it's it's Mary's like, Never <laughs> her fault. It's always my stuff. It really is. So I always have to look in the mirror and say, okay, what's my role in that? Right. Which, by the way, men, is the question of a lifetime. Get out of trying to argue. Take a walk and ask the question, what's my role in this? If you're mature enough to ask the question and you listen, you'll figure it out if you walk enough. <laughs> Keep walking until you get the answer. Quit trying to that's win a, that's so. That's such great advice. Isn't it? Stop trying to win, right? And and I and I say this as a hypocrite a little bit because I'm still in that place where I want to win. I got to get my point across. But in the moments when we are in unity and we we have a love story, we really do. In the moments we're in unity, I respect my wife so much. And in those moments that we just want to be together with nothing else going on, that's when life is perfect, right? And and I think that's what my son saw, and that's why he asked me to officiate his wedding. And I'm uh, again, dude, that's only God. Yeah, that doesn't happen. I didn't do that, <laughs> right? Right. And 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 when you get to that that space where you where you are, you get to have those moments like you were talking about with your mom, where it's just that genuine, deep connection with nothing else but just that and it's such a beautiful place to be and so important and it takes work to get there yeah yeah my mom would get to the point where my my mom was not a christian i was raised unitarian don't even know what that is but she i would pray before every meal right no matter if we're out in San Francisco, it didn't matter where we were. I'd say, let's pray. It didn't matter if there was 12 of us in the room or just uh, her and I, we'd always pray. And guess what? Every time we'd have a meal, if I, she would say, Bart, will you pray? Are you kidding me? Now, that isn't me. 
that is God working through me to to do that, right? And I am just a week before she died. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, you might not get this, but if you are a Christian, you get it. A week before she died, I prayed over her that she'd know who Jesus was. A week before she died. And a week later, she was in, getting ready for a shower, and she was sitting in a chair, and she passed. And, and all that, God doesn't give us coincidences. Everything is in the synchronicity of this incredible universe we live in. And yet, there's great messages in all of it. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. So, who I was is not who I am, and I'm just really grateful for that. That is awesome, and uh, and I love your story, and and I love what you're talking about, and and just sharing yourself so openly. So you have your your own podcast. Tell <laughs> us a little bit about that, and and what you're what you're doing, and and how you're moving this forward and giving it back. Thank you. About in 2015, I met a young man by the name of Stephen Copeland at the K Love Fan Awards in Nashville, Tennessee. I told him about my recovery story, and he said, that's a that's a book. Now, Stephen was actually there getting a book, getting an award for writing a book in collaboration with a gentleman by the name of Steve Zeller, who raised three sons that were in the NBA. And I met Steve. I met his sons. It was really cool. And I love Stephen. He was, at that time, I don't know how old he was, 25, 26, long hair. I just thought, this guy, this dude's cool. So through the wisdom of God and the wisdom of my mom that said, you're a late bloomer, one day I called Stephen and said, let's do this project. So we started on this project that was about a year of writing a book. And the book's called Keep the Change, I think, unless the publisher changes the name. But it's really about how do we go from where we were, that pit, that brokenness, the stupidity that I was in, to this place of peace where all that matters is being obedient to the cause and serving and helping and loving others, right? How do we get to that place of peace where we make good decisions because we're in peace? That even if pain comes up, we know we have a strategy to get to the other side of that. And so I, that was our book and we got it done. And, and then I got a publisher uh, by the name of Robert Walker, who has a company called Core. I'd met him in 2015 too. And I sat down with Robert actually on a Zoom call, and he said, let's go. And he took the project on. So the book will be out in about 18 weeks. And it's it's funny how long it takes to get this whole process done, but I'm I know it's perfect. And in the meantime, he said, who knows you? And I said, I don't know. He says, well, we need to get you know. These people need to hear your story. And I had maybe 5,000 Facebook followers, whatever, on Instagram. And he said, I have a publicist for you. And I said, really? He said, yeah, her name is Hannah Grace Walker. And so he said, call her. Well, he just happens to be related <laughs> to Robert Walker. And I met Hannah. And I'd had somebody that was helping with marketing before, but I couldn't have a conversation with this person because she would tell me everything really fast. And then I'd hang up and I'd think, what did she just say? And then I met right, Hannah, right. who is the sweetest thing and comes from this incredible peace and place. And I thought, that's a person I want on my team. So she became my publicist to help me get known, I guess, is kind of the thing. So that yeah, when the book yeah. comes out, people buy. So here's the deal. In the middle of that, I decided, I don't know why, to do a podcast. It's like, I always kind of wanted to be Larry King. Why not? So I found somebody that told me how to do a podcast, and I hired him to edit it and do it weekly. And we're on Apple and Spotify. We're on about our 18th week, I think. And we've had people like Pat Williams, NBA Hall of Famer, who's written 120 books and who has 19 kids. And who just has an incredible journey of success and of, of pain, too, but how he's gotten to the other side. And Pat taught me on that when, you know, again, he's 82. He said he wants to write 20 more books. <laughs> and he said, wow. when you get older, you got to set more long-term goals. <laughs> <laughs> 
He said, by the time I'm done, I'll be 118. By the time I get those books done, I'll be ready. <laughs> and I love it. I love, I love it. it. Might be denial, but that's okay. Denial's okay sometimes. It's all right. So, so I've had some great guests, people that, that are in the automotive field that might have dealerships that one guy, his parents beat him up every day for for years. He was in a very abusive relationship. And his parents were in an abusive relationship. And today he's got beautiful family and he is a a believer that is just on the mission for changing lives. So the quality of humans, I don't know how many people are on the podcast. It'll happen when it happens. But the quality of humans that I've gotten to meet and to connect with has been life-changing for me. I don't know about the audience, but it's really been off life-changing for me. And my favorite I hate to call it fan because I don't like that word. But my wife, every Thursday morning, man, boy, she's getting ready. She puts my podcast on. She's always the one that says, that was great. And it might have sucked, but she just finds a way to find <laughs> She's praise. cheering you on. You're oh sharing gosh. your message. She is so that's, great. That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, it's, yeah, it's it just like today being able to get to know you and hear your story, you know, it's one of the reasons I love doing the Addicted Mind podcast yes. is is getting to meet all these amazing people like yourself who, you know, are are out there sharing their story, sharing messages of hope and giving people, you know, just some some skills, some information that they can use to to move forward and and find that peace that is there waiting for them. So yeah. I think that's awesome. So before we end the podcast, I like to ask this question of every guest that comes on just as we end. And that is someone out there, maybe they're in pain, maybe they're struggling, maybe they're hurting. And you could tell them one thing, what would you want them to know? What would be your message? Well, I think you've got to figure out, you have to get out of yourself. You know, you already know my beliefs and what I've said about that. And when God found me, I didn't find God. And I think that was a a huge piece. The walk with God has been the number one thing. Getting on my knees every morning has been saying those prayers has been instrumental. I've had good sponsors. I've had bad sponsors. I've been a good sponsee. I've been a bad sponsee. All that's huge. But there's one more. And that is the 12 steps of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous are critical. The 12 steps of Celebrate Recovery, they're the same thing pretty much. Critical. And not just for people in recovery. They're great life lessons. I used to work for a guy named Eustace Wolfington, who had business principles. And guess what? His business principles were modeled after the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the book that I've done, Keep the Change, has 12 chapters. And each step is a step of recovery and how what my story is and how it applied to me and how it applies to every human listening, whether they're an addict or not, because they're great leadership lessons. So... No matter where you are, start with your knees, ask for help, which is what I did. Even if you don't know God, just praying and fake it till you make it and and listen to that still small voice and get to a meeting and walk in and do what and find somebody to lift you up and mentor you that you can trust and walk the steps. It's a critical piece. The steps will change your life, but you have to have God in there and you also have to have a team in there that love you every step of the way. Thank you so much, Bart, for coming on and sharing your story. Real quick, if they want more information, where can they find you? Right on. Bart Nolenberger, you can see that right there on the screen if you're seeing it or if you're listening. It's N-O-L-L-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn, all under the same. I think Instagram might be Keep the Change as well. You can call me, and I'm going to give you my cell number right now. It's 480-327-8751. That's 480-327-8751. I'm a speaker. I speak all over the country, leadership groups. I I speak to recovery groups. I'm a mental health coach, so I speak to that. But I'm also a coach, a life coach. So if you just believe in that, you need somebody to walk you through this and you just want to talk without any commitment long term, 
reach out to me. My email too is Bart, B-A-R-T, at BartNolenberger.com. Again, let's let's hang out a bit. Let's not think about a long-term coaching agreement. Let's get to know each other. And then if you want to do something, I'll be here for you. But Bart at BartNolenberger.com or 480-327-8751. Thank you. I will put all that information in the show notes as well at theaddictedmind.com. So check it out. Bart, thank you so much for, for coming on. Me, brother. Thank you. So nice to meet you. And I, and I hope that we get to hang out and have some lunch sometime and get to know each other even better. That would be great. God bless you, brother. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check them out there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I will talk to you on the next episode. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.